Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. This is episode number 427 with Dave Elliott, Why You Haven't Found Love Yet. Hello, everybody. I'm Sandy Weiner, and welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late for love and that a woman of value naturally attracts the respect and rewards she deserves in life and love. And speaking of women of value, my new book is now available on Amazon Kindle and paperback. It's called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And it's filled with my own personal stories, with client stories, with interviews like the one I'm having with Dave now. And I've actually had an interview with him before. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And there are 30 tips and exercises in the book to help you step more fully into your value, into your core confidence, which is really where all the good stuff happens. And every week I share a tip from the book. This week's tip is love yourself first. And it, you know, it sounds cliche. How can you love yourself first? And what does it mean to love yourself? What is self-care and all that stuff? And I really believe it's, it's really about knowing your value. I, I teach high school art this year and uh, to, to just a few students who have chosen it as their elective. And I love teaching them because I'm helping them to really believe in themselves when it comes to art. And I spoke to their guidance counselor, one of the guidance counselors, and we were talking about what I do in the rest of my life. And, and she said, well, how do I bring up the conversation about dating to young students in high school? And I said, start with their values and what is important to them. To me, that is where it all begins. So my challenge to you this week is to really think about the five values that are really important to you and look at how you're either honoring those values or maybe putting them aside to make room for somebody else and make their values more important. It's essential that you take care of the things that are important to you first, because otherwise you lose yourself in a relationship. But before I bring Dave on, I want to just give a shout out to my Facebook group, Your Last First Date. It is a wonderful place for positive support. This is not a place where you can come and moan and talk about how horrible men are, which Dave and I were just talking about before the show, how so many women take away the wrong messages about dating and relationships. And I want you to grow and to find your last first date. And so head on over after you listen to this episode to your last first date. And now for Dave. Dave is, um, he's a noted expert, an author. He's an international speaker, an accomplished relationship relationship coach, and he gets results for his clients who are global all over the world. And I have heard him speak in person. I love Dave. He's a really talented author and coach, and he's gifted at teaching smart, amazing women how to bring out the very best in men rather than suffering through their worst. And I want to just hold up his book if you're watching this on YouTube. It's called The Catch Your Match Formula. This book was um, a book that he talked about the last time he was on my show. And a lot of my, my clients purchased this book and loved it. So it's, it's a really fabulous book for helping you to ace online dating. And you have another book out, which is what I think your podcast is pretty much based on. So Dave, welcome to the show. You can hold up your new book and tell us about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, this is the book. Uh, same stuff, 
different day, <laughs> uh, based on the popular saying, same stuff, different day. Um, I'm really glad to be here and, and congratulations to you on your book. I meant thank to say you. that to you. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about relationship coaching. How, how did you begin getting involved in that? Yes. Um, so my humble beginning was uh, I got divorced. It's been quite some time ago now, but it's a humbling experience. Uh, I believe you're familiar with it as well. Uh, it's one of those kind of things that happen in life where you realize that, man, there's some things that I need to learn about this. Uh, and that was sort of my entree into the journey. And, and along the way, I discovered personal development. I discovered um, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I thought it was a huge game changer. And it, it got me into other types of um, personal development work. And then specifically, I started to get more into the relationship. And I just basically started to study the best of the best. And I kind of um, voraciously got into everything I could find because it was a painful experience that I was not looking to repeat ever again. And so I started to really understand it in brand new ways, in ways that I wasn't going to understand based on my personal experience prior to that. Um, and so I got to be pretty good at it and was able to get results for other people, started getting results for myself as well. And uh, it's an area that I've done a lot of work on to heal both for myself and others. And uh, I'm blessed to do this work now. It's been 12 years uh, this year. So it, I tell people I've been social distancing since before social distancing was cool. But I love working with amazing people like oh. oh all over the world, really, and helping them in their relationships. So now I can pay it forward for other people. I love it. And you're happily married to your second wife. I am indeed. She's awesome. And you have another another child, right? With her? Uh, I do, we have a grandchild. A grandchild. So it's even better. <laughs> it's part-time. <laughs> yes. Give it back when it cries. Exactly. <laughs> he doesn't cry as much now. He's he's seven now. So he's he's great though. We do enjoy him uh, a lot. He's fun. Oh, that's lovely. So I love that you took your own advice and you um you didn't want to repeat the pain that you had gone through before, which is very much my motivation. And congratulations on 12 years. I uh thank you. I'm right, right behind, right ahead of you. One year uh, started 13 oh, years ago. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's it's life changing to have mm. like all of a sudden you see things that you didn't see and you understand things you didn't understand. And which brings me to the podcast. I love your new podcast. It's called Why Haven't I Found Love Yet? And that's really the focus of today's interview. And so um, tell us why you started the podcast and just a little bit about what it what it's about. Sure. Well, uh, the title, I think we would call it aptly named. Uh, literally, what I'm doing is uh, doing like little uh, sort of meeting people where they are. These are people who are not my clients. They're people that I don't know. They're people who have applied to be on it. Uh, but what I'm doing is a little bit of what uh, my favorite part of coaching, which is doing like the detective work, the the Cupid work, the kind of like understanding like where are they now, what do they need, what do they want, what prevents, what's blocking. And this, the book that I showed earlier, same shit, different date, is based <laughs> on why we keep getting the same lessons over and over again, even though we don't 
necessarily know they're the same lessons because they look different every single time. The premise of the book is that um, you're the one unique, uh, um, you're, the, you're the one common denominator in every relationship you've ever had. And again, even though these men are totally different, don't know one another, there's oftentimes a pattern. And so what I do is I help them uncover the pattern and bring it into their awareness in a brand new way about how there's usually unresolved wounds of some type based on your own personal history that's unique to you. And so I've so I've done a bunch of these uh, interventions, interviews with the different people who I'm getting to know them basically at the same time the audience is getting to know them. But I'm, I'm just sort of tracing and like pulling threads. And as I start to pull the thread, I start to understand and I, it, I'm, each one has been different. And it's, it's been kind of an amazing journey of understanding where these ideas came from, where these fears, where these insecurities, where these blocks, where these unresolved wounds came from. And once I point them out, it's, it's kind of life-changing essentially because they see it in a brand new way. And then we you know, start to give them some actionable uh, tools and tips and why they're getting stuck and how to get beyond stuck and how to move forward. And so it's it's been great. Uh, I just really love it. I was inspired. I was a little late getting to the podcast game. I didn't really feel called to it, but I started listening to Esther Perel's uh, podcast. Uh, she is the world's foremost expert on infidelity and she's fantastic. I really do love her work. Uh, and she's got a podcast called Where Should We Begin? It's just phenomenal. And it, it didn't occur to me to do sort of a live coaching call. And that's what she was doing. And, and again, I just think she's, she's phenomenal. So it inspired me uh, to do my own version of what I do, what I, what I uniquely do that I think is different from a lot of other people. So um, I've just been enjoying it and wanted to spread the word so other people could check it out. I think there's, there's powerful things in it. Very powerful. I, I also love Esther Perel and her and her work and the, the podcast, Where Shall We Begin? She, she talked to people in COVID confinement, couples who um, were struggling and in all different ways. And it's even though somebody may not be part of a couple, it's you're going to learn something about communication skills, about how we often make assumptions and don't see each other in, in an, an empathic way. And, and um, I think you bring the same thing, like even people who are not single are still stuck. You know, there are lots of people out there who have circumstances that are a little bit different, but they might be able to recognize themselves. And in so doing, you're helping so many more people than the person, obviously, that you're just coaching live on air. Right. So it's, yeah. I think that's one of the beautiful aspects of it too, that I'm, I'm hoping to build like this sort of, I mean, maybe a little more conscious community too, because what I'm finding is that I, I think there's at least one or two things, maybe a whole bunch of things that um, people can listen to other people's experience and say, oh my God, I see how that happened. And, and, they, and I think they come away with a compassion and an understanding uh, for themselves and others. It's a lot easier to see it in someone else. And, and I, I'm hoping that the other thing that comes away from it is just as um, a caring for people and understand that, you know, we hide some of that stuff. And, you know, 
these women that I've interviewed so far, they've all been so uh, courageous and vulnerable and just amazing to share their stories. One, they're getting a benefit to help themselves, but they're also helping so many other people because I, I think you know, there's only about 12 problems in the whole wide world and we all have different variations on them or where we get stuck. So, you know, it's really common. And, and I just think that they give people a window, a, a window into basically their own history and, and in a way that they can probably relate very well. I think every, like I, I say to these women, if I picked you, um, and I'm trying to pick a variety of different scenarios because I want to look something for everyone uh, and just keep it interesting. You know, if I did the same formula every time, it would kind of get tired. So like, I think every one of them so far has been totally unique mm -hmm. and different. And, but every single person has been, uh, you just come away with, a, I think, a warm feeling and an appreciation for them. I certainly do. Uh, and I think that's uh, evident in listening to the conversation that we have. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the things that you've discovered through the podcast, some of the reasons that women have not found love yet. Um, so there's a, a, a bunch of issues that I think have come up a, a number of times. You know, a lot of times there, um, there's some daddy issues stuff. There's some beliefs about, uh, you know, biases or beliefs, beliefs about you know, maybe people have had uh, some infidelity experiences that they sort of personalize and make it about themselves when that's really kind of unfortunate. That's not necessarily uh, true or accurate, right? Uh, there's some challenges with, um, I've had some women who have been like, sexually assaulted or, or, or raped, even had horrific experiences that they've internalized and made about them. Like the woman that I spoke to about that, you know, people who literally committed a crime, but yet she was the one getting the punishment, which I pointed out to her is incredibly unfair. And I, and I think it was really quite powerful for her um, to understand that, you know, anew. And, you know, her thing was safety. You know, her belief was I'm unsafe. And the people that took advantage of her were the people who were supposed to make her feel safer, which is ironic. Uh, so there, there's some just powerful uh, different examples of people uh, and uh, some of them were like children of divorce, you know, took on beliefs, you know, there was a little bit of an abandonment or perceived rejection. Um, again, a lot of it is about the childhood wounds that come in the first seven years of life. And in the first seven years of life, that's essentially where you create all your beliefs about the world. Is it a beautiful world where it's nurturing and kind and everyone looks out for you? Or is it kind of a dog eat dog world where you're on your own and nobody really cares? So suck it up, buttercup kind of thing. So, um, you know, that's been kind of fascinating too and understand that how, how pliable these beliefs are that when they're taken on as such a foundational belief uh, or a foundational stage, you know, in a, um, Trying to think of an example of uh, oh, in one of the uh, examples, there was a, a woman that said there was some kind of a meme that she had seen on Facebook. She said, "You know, I can't have a, a great career, a great relationship, and a clean house. Something's got to give." And she said, "You know how that that's true." And I was just li listening to her, looking at her, and I said, "No, I I don't know that that's true. I don't. Where did you get that belief?" And She's kind of a little bit taken aback, just because when you question a, a foundational belief like that, and I, you know, basically said, you know, that's the thing that 
people who are, their relationships aren't good, they file it under those people or the people that aren't very good at cleaning, say, or the people that aren't very, you know, moving forward in their career fast enough, say. Like it gives someone a plausible deniability for where they are at that moment. So once you start to, you know, dissect these beliefs and pull them apart, like those have far reaching consequences, you know, and she didn't realize like how seriously she bought into it, but I, I don't. And now she doesn't either. So, you know, I don't, I don't think that's true. I think you, you can have, you can be really satisfied at work. You can have a great relationship and your house can be neat and organized too. You know, these things are not uh, mutually exclusive. So now she has a new understanding of that. That's great. I think that so many times we believe these things are truth. They're the truth. It's just the way it is. Yeah, you know? <laughs> total bias. You know, it's just not true. You know, and when you yeah. step back and kind of question it and you say, really, where, where did you get that idea? Where, how, what evidence do you have to support that? You know, and then people start to see it. it's like, oh, wow, that's kind of a construct. But it's a construct you've been operating under as if it's fact. And, and that has a cost to it, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about the solution. Um, you, you're giving people some solutions to these issues and helping them repair. So what are, what are some of the ways that you do that? Well, I think the main thing is like every session is going to come away with an epiphany and in about an hour or less, hopefully uh, try to keep it right about that hour mark. I, I find it's kind of entertaining, but I think the awareness that they come away with the aha moment that they, oh my God, the epiphany, I, I would say awareness is probably 60 to 70% of the way there. Because most of the time, the reason it's reoccurring is because they have no consciousness of it whatsoever. Like when I draw the line for the first time for many of these people and I say, this partner, this partner, this partner, this partner, what do you see in common there? And I point out that like every single one of them had a, you know, say a rejection or an abandonment, or maybe there's issues of chaos or something like, again, goes back to early childhood origins or something um, about what they're tolerating and what, you know, how it shows up. It looks different, but it's ultimately the same issue. That awareness is kind of a profound, uh, like a, uh, just a, a breakthrough for them. So that's where they started. And then I'd give them uh, some, some coaching on how they can move forward from there, what to do differently, like uh, maybe a new understanding, a new, um, a way to look at something totally differently or to do some work. I'll give some an assignment or something. It depends on what the issue is, right? Um, I'll give them an issue like a, a, one of the areas where a lot of women chronically don't know their value. And so they, they show up on a, in a date and, you know, they're wondering why their value, like they don't know their value and they're expecting the other person to see it. Well, if you want people to see it, you go first. And so I do some exercises where I help women to know their value essentially and show up on dates, feeling empowered, feeling great. Um, a way to have a, pretty much get a second date just about anytime you want one. So it, it, I give them some strategies on how to do things like that. Again, it depends on what the issue is, but there, it's first the awareness and then the tools about how to shift. I'm sure that you do um, pretty much identical things too. <laughs> Well, awareness is always the first step, definitely. I, yeah. I think that so many of us, again, walk around blinders and want to see what we want to see because there is safety in it. And you mentioned safety before, you know, that there's this 
false idea of safety a lot of times where being in your little bubble is safe, you know, keeping everything close to the chest is safe, not really revealing who you are is safe, but they're really just keeping you protected and guarded um, in many ways. So, yeah, do you have any examples to share about like this misunderstanding of, of what safety really is? Um, you know, yeah, I, I have a, a powerful example. I was working with a client and she was real tender, uh, very much feeling like she had to jump through hoops, but she also saw men as a threat. Like uh, she would share pictures with me and like she would sort of be in the back. She was always sort of very, very covered, very guarded. And so people never saw the woman, like the woman I'm talking to on our coaching sessions is because I make her feel safe and I make her feel heard and understood. She's able to be really remarkable, remarkably open. And, and I was sharing, uh, you know, we were, we were talking about how guarded she felt. And, and I was explaining to her, I said, the, the thing is, you know, if you're going through a, let's say you're going through a dangerous part of town, what's going to make you feel more safe if you're there trying to navigate that dark street all by yourself, or if you had someone big, strong, and tough who would literally die for you by your side, walking through that dark street with you, which would be safer? Which do you think would be a better idea? And it was such a mind blower for her. She never even considered the fact that it might actually be smarter and more effective and efficient to have a man who would literally die to protect her and save her by her side. It was just a mind blower for her. And she went back and she told me the, the following week, she shared it with her mother. And her mother said, I, I never looked at it that way either. And so I basically had two generations of the family were totally stunned by an awareness of like, wait a minute, not every man's a threat? No, no. In fact, sometimes quite the opposite. You know, when I talked about, you know, the, the beauty of the hero and like, you know, you know, men see a burning building and they're going to run in there, no thought for their personal safety, but they just want to save someone else. Like, don't you think you're safer with someone who is guided by that as their desire, you know, selfless service to other people? And, I, and I'm not saying every man offers that all the time, but what I'm saying is that it is, it is uh, an important part of the masculine energy. We, we have to solve problems. We have to fix things. We want to keep people safe, you know? And so a lot of times it's really selfless. Like, how do you explain the fact that, you know, men go off to war since the beginning of time? put their personal safety aside, but yet they'll crawl across the ground, try to drink, try to drag a dead body back to this side of an imaginary line, never thinking about their own personal safety, but they'll do it for someone else. Like that's, that's a beautiful level of selfless service that is really actually hard to wrap your mind around. Or like, how do you explain someone who's going to go up the World Trade Center, you know, with miles of line going upstairs that are dark and you can't see two feet in front of you and know darn well that it might not go well and they go there's there's a beauty in that yeah i i think for a lot of people listening they're they're i can imagine they might be thinking like how do i know that it is that kind of person like how do how what are the signs that this is a person who actually will keep me safe because i think I think a lot of people are attracted to people who are not good for them, you know, based on those first seven years, right. the uh, the people who actually will not keep them safe, who replicate the, the people who are unhealthy in their lives. So 
for people like that who really don't believe it, how, you know, they need something tangible. Like, how will they know? That's such a great question. And it's it's funny because it's a little bit of a conundrum. The thing is, I I think when you when you put your personal safety on a, on other people all the time, I think you'll oftentimes be be disappointed. I think the key is you trust yourself instead of trying to trust the rest of the world, which is exhausting. And and mathematically speaking, at least three times out of 10, you're going to be wrong because other people have their own decisions and they do things for their own reasons. And they're going to make the decisions that they want to make based on their own needs and biases and whatever and fears and insecurities and history and all that stuff. So a number of times you're going to be disappointed. But the thing is, I believe that if you trust yourself, if you have faith in yourself, if you keep yourself safe, like I don't necessarily know what's going to happen, but I know somehow there's something in me. I know who I am. I know how I'm committed to showing up. I know I've I've bounced back from more difficult things before. Uh, you know, I'm not going to put everything on other people. You know, I'm going to be somewhat you know responsible for myself. I may get my heart broken here. I'm not saying that. Um, but I'll learn something in the process or I'll bounce back or it'll teach me something or I'll be better in some way because of it. And then I think you just move forward into the future with less fear and less anxiety and less story about, you know, if all you focus on is risk, you'll just get more risk. If you focus on where you're safe and where you've been here before and you know, if they're working with you or me, or if they're reading books, or they're watching videos and attending summits that you and I both speak in, you know, they're doing their work, you know, to not put all their trust in someone else, because that's risky, shall we say. But I believe when you when you put faith in yourself, and that you remember all the great things you've done before, um, how you bounce back, how you've been resilient, how you've, you've been open, and you know, I think it, you get to a place where you start to really appreciate that, you know, safety is a mindset and it's within you first. And then I think when you create it in you first and you'll create it everywhere else. And I, I think you show up less needy, less, um, what's the word? I'd say less reliant on everyone else to show up and, and do everything the right way, the way you'd like them to do. And I think when you feel safe and you show up in this amazing way, I think you inspire men to show up in their best version as well. So it's really kind of a, a cool thing. You go first and other people show up and people will be attracted to your energy and, and what you're putting out. So it is a bit of a conundrum though, right? You know, we're looking to, oh, I hope they don't disappoint me. But as soon as you say, I hope they don't disappoint me, you just gave all your power away to someone else, you know? It's, probably not the best idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thought that keeps coming up for me as you're talking is that you kind of, um, not rejection proof, but you, um, you're not defined by other people's idea of you. You oh, have to freedom. define, right. So once you know who you are, if somebody is not the right fit for you, it doesn't, it doesn't make you fall apart. And I think that, you know, for a lot of people that when somebody breaks up, it's like they, they took their heart and they stomped on it and you will never be the same. And I mean, I've heard people say things like, I will never get remarried just to get back at that guy. You know, it's just like you're sabotaging yourself and you don't realize it. So yeah. it's, it's doing this inner work, which to me is, is not something you really can skip. 
And, you know, this is why I have so many issues with the professionals out there who are matching people without doing the inner work. They're just going to keep having the same issues over and over. I mean, I had somebody recently reach out to me and she had just signed up for this matchmaking service. And she said, I'm not going to do online dating because I'm looking for a marriage minded man. So I'm going to pay a lot of money to a matchmaker instead. And that will guarantee that my heart will never get broken. And I'm only going to meet the right man for me. And I'm like, mm. that's not how it works. But, you know, good luck to you. Because she really wasn't interested in what I had to say. So it's, it's yeah, I mean, we can look for guarantees that we're going to stay safe from the wrong people. You know, it's the same thing with people putting in a profile you know, if you're this, this, and this, then don't contact me. It's those people are not reading it anyway. They don't care. I mean, it's negative. It makes you come across as kind of judgmental. And just you have the option to move past those profiles. You know, don't don't put those things in there. So it's just knowing these little things about we get to be a choice and we don't get defined by somebody else's thoughts about us. Yeah. I mean, I maintain that it, dating is a process of going out and you, you understand yourself by meeting and understanding other people and seeing the greatness in them, even if they don't see it. And, you know, the numbers dictate that and I did this with a group that I was coaching once. I said, how many do you think the average person, you know, dates in a lifetime? I'm talking about whether they, you know, some people that marry their, their high school sweetheart and never, never date anyone else and they just get married and that's it. And then there's other people. I've, I've literally had someone call me one day and said, I've been on a thousand online dates. And I thought, wow, I, that's, <laughs> that's prolific, right? So somewhere <laughs> the median in there is what I basically said is, um, I sort of pulled the group and we came up with, let's say like 40, you'll date 40 people. And I said, out of those, how many like would you quantify as someone you're gonna date like maybe either marry or or date say six months to a year uh or be in a relationship or live in or something like that so-called your majors and basically they said well maybe four you know we marry one you know had a date long term and so what i said was like that's 10 percent. which what that means is 90 percent of the people that you're going to date you're never meant to go any further than maybe a date or two here or there get to know them meet them where they are leave them better than you found them if you're doing that you're doing something really beautiful you're making the dating world better i think because you're seeing the greatness in people and saying you know it's been really great meeting you i don't know that we're a match but i can see you're, you're a quality man and i'm sure you're not going to have any trouble finding someone who's going to feel really really lucky to have someone like you if you say that i i think you've you've changed the world a little bit just for one person if you continue to do that again if you that's uh 36 men if you leave them that way wow you're making a real difference and so you know like the, the man you were talking about earlier that we were chatting about you know men who are kind of wounded and hurt and feel this rejection if a breakup is is so complimentary or if you just say look i don't necessarily know that we need to continue this but i can see you're a great man i'm sure you're going to find an amazing woman that loves you for you like that's just beautiful and, and conscious and you're leaving people better than you found them which I, I think is powerful i think people that are out there hurting people in especially in online dating or just dating in general i think they're the ones who uh, have had really 
bad experiences, obviously, because it's hurt people hurting people. Mm-hmm. And so if we consciously, uh, people who are listening to your podcast like yours or mine, if we're out there trying to be better versions of ourselves, I think we're just way more conscious and kind and we create love in the world just by the way we show up in it. I think it starts to right some of the wrongs that we've all experienced. So I think it's just a great practice, right? I love that practice. And I think, you know, I always tell my clients to take the high road, you know, don't ever stoop to that lower level and ream somebody out. If somebody isn't the right person for you, there's no reason to say something mean, you know, be kind and you'd always be kind. (laughs) So I I actually have a personal question. You can answer it if you like or not, but we talked about the work that you did at the beginning of this conversation and the work that you do for others. And I'm just curious, where were the points where you had to work the hardest like what what was your (laughs) self-growth oh that's a great (laughs) question um so what I'm doing for other people I've had to do for myself um I had a a bit of a strong mom who wanted to perfect me I had an older brother who was uh very well behaved shall we say and I wasn't ever going to be getting a great deal of attention for being as well behaved as him. So the way I learned to get attention is I would kind of mix it up. I would be, you know, kind of the agitator and get in there and I'd look at his baseball cards and like I was the the bothersome little brother, essentially. Uh, and plus I was adopted, too. And so there was a bit of a kind of felt like I didn't always fit in. So um, I had a sensitivity to... Um, being, being the one who was causing trouble. So there was rejection in that. There was a sort of an abandonment of sorts in that. And so that was the area that I needed to learn. You know, I, I would get, um, actually my wife, my wife that I'm with now for six years, she is, she helped me see if there's a side of my personality when someone is, um, um, I guess, uh, you know, giving me some feedback, like a, there was a side of me that would, not like it if it was less than complimentary uh, and there was a bit of a passive aggressive side of me that I really did not see about yep yeah, I'm not doing it I'm not going to do it I was just digging my heels and it, look it wasn't a I identified him as Axel Rose uh, who was a, a famous rock musician who would get angry at people he was kind of I think he had some challenges right he's doing way better now but he would be so angry he would like dive off a stage and punch people because they took his picture like he had a real anger issue mine was never over like that I I would basically just say yeah I'll see what I can do and then I wouldn't do it and I'm like oh yeah sorry I didn't get to it it's more passive aggressive but there was a, a sun anger too about rejection being told what to do I wasn't really good at that because again it was always felt like I was being told what to do and look if you go through life looking for you're not telling me what to do are you you know, and, and you bristle at that and you reject that, like, what else do you miss? You know, you miss someone asking for what they want, you know, they, you miss good feedback, you know, you miss somebody giving you the keys, you know, the code to the safe on how to like, you know, become an incredible partner, you know, if you're, if you're so tender about that. So that was some of the work I had to do. And I also, like I said, I came from a divorce that was a that was a rejection abandonment of sorts was her idea and so it was a little humbling um and so i just saw that some of those things that i did and just being really transparent i needed to you know 
my belief was that people are telling you what to do and I would bristle, you know, I didn't like it. Uh, still have that aspect to me occasionally. Um, but, you know, I'm a work in progress and, and I'm way better than I was, you know, so what a great question. Thank you yeah. for that raw <laughs> introspection. I appreciate it. I, you know, I'm sitting here going, I wonder what his, what his journey was. And I appreciate your, your transparency. I think that, you know, I think when we, when we have these issues that they always can come up again and again. And yeah. even if you've done a ton of work, and I think what, what separates somebody who's done the work from somebody who hasn't is number one, the awareness. Number mm -hmm. two, the recovery time. It's how do we repair when we when we go back to that place? And so that's that's growth, you know, appreciating that you now have the tools to come back. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly powerful. I think the one thing we what we all want and, and crave essentially is to be loved for who we are. No change is necessary. So anytime someone's correcting you, you know, I'm curious, what's your answer for that question? Oh, <laughs> I was thinking, geez, he's going to ask me that. I want to just address the last thing you said, then I'm happy to share. Yeah. Um, loving us for who we are. And I want to say that who we are is actually lying underneath the surface. And so somebody who does the inner work is actually revealing more of who they are, not just yeah. here's who I am and just take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. So what, what are my issues? I was definitely uh, a, a rebel like you. I had a very good, you know, well-behaved older sister who was very much, you know, to the books. And I had thoughts and beliefs that were very different from my family. And I also grew up in a home with a lot of conflict, terrible communication style, a lot of mind reading and yelling. And um, so I knew I didn't want that, <laughs> but I didn't really know what I wanted. I had a depressed father who was manic depressive. And mm. there was a lot of adultifying early on where I felt like I was I was the parent. I, right. So I walked around believing that no man will ever come through for me. I realized that a number of years ago that all men will fail me on some level. So right. that was my that was my belief, and that was something I had to work through that I had overcompensated in my childhood to survive. And in order to thrive, I had to let go of that belief that all men will eventually not come through. Yeah. So I would look for it, you know. And it, that creates a hypervigilance too of, you know, having someone who, you know, you had to constantly, is, is he okay today? Is he, okay? is he angry? And I was watching a video it was supposed to be a comedy, but it was da Dr. Daniel Amen, like the world's foremost expert on you know brain health, uh, was doing a test on this woman who was a comedian, and he was basically he was saying you scored incredibly well off the charts on being able to look at pictures and in a microsecond understand if there's a threat. Like you have a, an incredible hypervigilance, and she said two parents who were alcoholics. <laughs> And she's like, it's a superpower. She could scan yeah. in a half a second. She's like, no threat, threat, no threat, no threat, yeah. threat. Like she could totally spot it. And like, that's, that's one of the things. So if you're, if that is totally ingrained and it is a survival mechanism for you, it's, it's 
not the easiest thing in the world to undo that, especially if you don't know you're doing it, right? So like, that's the kind of thing if you, if you have a volatile house, right? And you have to constantly be managing, looking for either one or both parents uh, or, or sibling even. I have a client whose brother also got into the act too. Um, you know, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I think it, it's made me a better coach. It's made me a better partner. Absolutely. It's made me a better person, better mom, for sure. Like knowing yeah. what I needed to do to help my children have a better legacy moving forward. And it's, um, you know, we can either take it and learn from it and grow from it, or we can walk around as victims and think this is just our lot in life. And I do not like being stuck. That's that's a really big ingrained thing of me. I hate stuckness. And so I'm always looking right. for a solution. How do I get out of it? And so helping, this is why coaching is such a great profession for me, because I get to use the skills that I had to learn to survive and thrive and help them just like you. So yeah. it makes us better. And I love the fact that, you know, we've it's done easy question to answer right but but because we you know we know the power of vulnerability and we go first right um and i think it's really tremendously freeing you know it, to be able to cough up and claim your own stuff you know yeah. it's it's empowering you know when when you know that that doesn't have a hold on you anymore it's a it's a piece of history but it's not your story so yeah. you know it's powerful yeah and i appreciate your vulnerability i i Last night I was I was leading my uh, coaching group uh, on a conversation about sex, and that's a really vulnerable topic. And one woman who's never been married and never had children was sharing in the Q and A, and she got very teary that she never had kids, and she's so afraid that a man is going to see that side of her and reject her for that. And everyone in the in the group was so moved by her tears and her heart. And I said, bring that to dating. Like any man who's worth his, you know, weight is going to love that part of you. He's going to embrace the part that, you know, you're sad and you're mourning. And and that's part of who you are. That's that's your heart. And I, it was so moving. And it's just people carry so much shame around the things that they didn't even have control over. You know, we, right. we don't always have control, like you said before. And um, such a judgment, too, because, again, if you look at mathematically, probably three out of 10 men would actually say, no kids? Awesome. Sign me up. Like, yeah, they might not right. want them either. But but she feels so much judgment about it. Like, she doesn't see that there are people out there who would actually think that's a benefit. Yeah. They would actually think that's great. What do you mean? Problem. That's no problem. Right. Like they, they probably had women break up with them, right? So I'd say, you know what, I really want kids and you don't want kids. I don't see how this works. And so they've actually been rejected for that thing. And so if he goes and meets someone who hasn't had kids and that's where it is, they're like, oh my God, this was perfect. You know, of course, that's not a problem, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's a good way to look at it. There's somebody for I everyone. Exactly. And it's it really starts with that self-acceptance. I, you know, I accept the fact that this is where I am in life and it's not where I want it to be, but it is where I am. And, and I love myself anyway, you know, and yeah. it's being able to do that. Um, so let's, let's end with a question about sabotaging. <laughs> what is the number one misconception that sabotages potential partnerships? I would say 
again, I would say unresolved wounds, things you don't know you have, and then knowing your value, you know, um, I think a lot of, like, that's a great example, the, the one you just said of this woman who her, her value about herself is entirely based on her ability to have, you know, had a baby or whatever. And creating that presupposition that like, well, this affects my worth and my value and who's going to ever love me. But again, if, but our point is, if you go first, if you love you, whether you have a, a child or not, and there's other ways to go about that too, um, other people will step in that love you. So that's a great example of how that blind spot, uh, you know, totally negates a lot of possibility that is still out there. You know, so that's an unresolved wound. It's a, this is not the first time this person said what's wrong with me or focused on what's wrong instead of what's great or what's what's positive or what's possible. You know, so I, I think a lot of times just sort of rigid thinking and not not just being open to possibilities and, you know, what can still be, you know, um, and that's based on history, oftentimes. Questions that you've asked yourself hundreds of times, you know, and so you, yeah, but you don't understand. I wasn't able to have a child. Yeah, I understand, but, you know, uh, in quantum physics, there's a, um, there's an idea that says nothing's lost or gained. It shows up in another form, you know, all of a sudden, when my wife and I got married, she also wasn't able to have children before we met, and my daughter was grown at that point. And within not too long a period of time, we find out that my daughter's having a baby. And so we got the, the beauty of having a child in our lives that, you know, gifts at the holidays, going out to zoos and doing all the fun stuff, doing all the fun stuff, seeing the world through the eyes of a child. So we still got the benefit of it, but we still were able to travel around the world and teach and speak and do what we do. So it really was like the best of all worlds. And it's just one of those things that like, we couldn't have predicted that, couldn't have seen that coming, but that was a tremendous gift. Mm, I love that. It's a great way to end, you know, just to be open to it showing up in another way. And I think many of us go through life with these expectations that it has to be this. This is what I'm looking for. And then they miss all that happens on the on the periphery that would be even better if they would only open their eyes and be open. So I love focus on the, what's possible. Great. Dave, always a great conversation. We went even deeper this time. <laughs> really we deeper, did. And it's been fantastic. Tell our audience how they can find you and find your podcast. Well, you might have noticed uh, Legendary Love for Life is my website. So legendaryloveforlife.com. They can find me there. All kinds of goodies. Check that out. Uh, my podcast is called Why Haven't I Found Love Yet? Uh, you can find that on a bunch of different places. Uh, I go to Apple most often. I have an iPhone, but uh, it's on um, it's on Google Podcast. It's on Stitcher. It's on Spotify. So it's in a number of different places. Um and, and others as well. So you can find that through my site and uh, the book. We mentioned that too, that is seems a different date. It is uh, based on elements from that book. It basically is what the podcast is about. It's about me doing that live uh, for people and sort of demonstrating some of the stuff from the book and the book has the exercises and things like that. So those are a couple of good places to find me, but thank you so much. It was a total pleasure to be here and reconnect. It's been a little bit. 
Yeah, great to have you back and always a great conversation. I'll put links to everything in the show notes. And um, thank you everybody for listening today. If you love our show, please rate and review us. It, you, you have no idea how much it means to the success of the show, the continued success, eight years of being on air. And it's, it's all due to you listening, downloading and sharing. So um, thank you again. And we hope you go on your last first date very soon.